0: So good to be here. So good to be with you. I was just across the street drafting my minor league baseball team. Uh, The team formerly known as the Orioles, now known as the Rockies. So we get to be purple and black, right? So that feels pretty good. Uh, Just no free Orioles hat for me this year. So that's tough. I got first pick of players, which meant I got last pick of team names. So... There you go. But at least I'm not the Red Sox because nobody wants to be them. So Yeah. So that's our first hot take of the night. So there's gonna be more. Just get ready. So hey, we're in a series called I don't know Connor's still talking, but nobody knows what he's talking about, you know? It's okay, I've got the microphone. We're in a series called Holy Spirit's Acts. We're gonna be walking through the book of Acts this semester. We started the semester XAXO and we've begun our journey in the Acts narrative. Okay, Acts uh, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it is in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the New Testament, it's the second half. And when I say second half, I mean like, not, it's not really half, it's more like a third, probably. The, second, the, the third third, if you will. Um, so if you're in your Bibles, you can go to the middle, that should be Psalms. You can turn to the right, and keep turning to the right. When you start to get to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts will be right after it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5 tonight. Ashlyn already knew the answer. It's like we're kind of journeying one chapter at a time. Uh, but there are 28 chapters in Acts, and we don't have 28 weeks left. So, um, you, yeah, there are going to be some surprises because that's who we are and who could say. That's what we do, right? And so... But I, um, typically when I get up here and hold this microphone and I tell you to turn to the text, I tell you I am so excited about this text tonight. Uh, tonight is not one of those nights. Uh, this passage has terrified me for years. Yeah, <laughs> that's all the hook we need. You're all leaning in now. Um, when we were deciding which uh, chapters we were going to teach, which ones were going to be a part, knowing we were going to be able to skip a few chapters at a time, this is the first one I voted for us to skip which is why I'm teaching it tonight. Right? Because sometimes we read things in the Bible and we don't like them but that may be what we need to read. Sometimes we see things that we don't quite understand and we realize that that's probably more on us than it is on Jehovah. So I have done a lot of study here. Uh, I have dealt with my own heart. I've asked some wise counsel. And I am excited to preach to you out of Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Some of you probably have classmates named Ananias and Sapphira. They're probably named after these characters because they're going to be such good examples for us. So. Thank you. Yeah, nobody else laughed, but that's okay. Because they they haven't heard the story yet, so they don't know how funny it's going to be. So. Let's start at the very beginning, because it seems like a very good place to start. Yeah, I say that one often, too, don't I? Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Just I get old, right? Yeah, it doesn't get old, but I get old. Thanks for the back row over there. Well, you know who else is old? Jeff. Um. (laughs) Yeah, that's who's old. Uh, Okay, first of all, you guys are all like, you're like, you're like it's, it's so great to be in college. I'm like, unless you're Jeff, <laughs> because he's not in college. Got him. Anyways, uh, chapter 5, Acts, chapter 5, Holy Spirit's Acts. We're journeying as the Holy Spirit builds His church. As Holy Spirit does the miraculous, as Holy Spirit is active in the life of the apostles and in the church as she is formed. Let's see what happens in our story tonight. Let's start in verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, I already told you that part was coming, together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Hmm. Seems simple enough, right? Don't read ahead. I can see some of you reading ahead. I uh, yes, you were. Yes, you were. Okay. Okay. Alright, so here we have Ananias, we have Sapphira, our two characters, uh, they're going to maybe not be the main characters, maybe they are, maybe protagonists, maybe antagonists, who could say, right? Okay, and so what it says here, what we need to know is it says they also sold a piece of property. Whenever you see something like that happen in the text, you've got to wonder, what is the also referring to? So you can skip back to the end of chapter four, and let's catch up on this to see what's happening. Okay, at the end of chapter 4, maybe if you have the NIV and it's such a thin line, uh, above verse 32, there's a little addition there. It says, The believers share their possessions. What was happening is the church has started, she's like a ragtag bunch okay they're like the have-nots of society it's like this is not cool it's not fun it's probably fun but it's like you are an outcast of society if you're a part of this movement that is going to become the church if you're a part of this movement that follows this guy that everybody saw die on the cross and many people saw raise again on the third day right and so it's like like what and so they're only outcasts and so because of this there's like difficulties amongst the members there's difficulty amongst friends some of them get in hard times. And what we see is the believers are there together. They are like in it together with each other all the time and they share their possessions. And the text tells us at the end of chapter 4 that there are times where people would sell fields, they would sell land that they have, and they would give all of the money back to the community for whoever had need. And catch this, at the end of chapter 4, what we're going to see is one of those people... Uh, Joseph, verse 36, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Again, the exact same word that we're going to find in chapter 5. And so, Joseph comes, sells his field, uh, probably other things are happening in his life, and he gets a nickname, son of encouragement. And I can tell you that that's a kind of fun nickname. Right, like if I was gonna like walk around with a hoodie that had something on the back of it, son of encouragement would be at the top, Virginia Tech would be at the bottom. I don't get son of encouragement now because of that, right? Okay, but how many of you know that growing up, what was the old saying? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true right? Why do people teach us that? Words hurt. Right, words hurt a lot. They can cut, they can build up, and this nickname, I'm sure people are like, yo, I've got to get one of those. Okay, uh, let me take you back to sixth grade Josh Moran, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so, oh man, what a guy this guy was. Uh, So I grew up, and uh, oldest of three boys, right? We grew up in the country, okay? Now, like, some of you don't know what that means. Some of you do, because you live on Back Road, right? And then, like, but, like, like, my house, when we went to the 911 address, like, we became one Forest View Drive. Okay, our nearest neighbor was 53 Forest View Drive, okay? You couldn't see a neighbor, all you could see was trees. All we really did was wreck four-wheelers and shoot guns, okay? Um, You guys are like, wow, this guy's a redneck. That's okay, I'm wearing Converse's, okay? All things to all people, you know what I mean? I've got a tight-fitting hoodie, we're all good here, okay? Um, Okay, so... uh, so sixth grade, uh, okay. one of the things that happened at the Moran house was we got a computer. Okay, First time, right? Because uh, th- I needed to look things up for science uh, and so I had the uh, Encarta CD and that was how you looked up stuff. The, the internet didn't work at my house. It worked at other people's house, but it definitely didn't work at my house, right? Um, and so I get to science class. Mr. Evans is my teacher. Okay, I can tell you Mr. Evans' name because of what happens next. There were two Joshes in the class. He's going around the first day, and man, let me tell you, like when your last name is Moran, yeah, that first day can be a little tough, right? Uh, is Josh Moron here? Right? You guys are all like, huh? Yeah, he is. He's right there at the front. Okay, so I'm already nervous. I hate the first day. I don't like this. Okay, like it's become like a little bit of a, a catchphrase for the students that actually know my name. This is what they call me, right? Okay, he says, hey, he says. Uh, Joshua Moran. He gets my last name correct, and I'm like so shocked. He says, "What do you want me called, Josh or Joshua?" And I said, I, "I don't, I don't care." He called me "I don't care" for the rest of the year. <laughs> <He's broken>. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, that's more. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm from a one high school town, right? Yeah. And so like, it, like, the, like I, can, and I can remember that feeling. I can remember what those words meant to me. But then I can also remember the positive ones, right? There are stories from my childhood when I made a good play, when I brought a good grade, when I did well at work, right? I got a promotion from uh, bagger to produce at the food line. That was a day, OK? My cousin uh, was the manager, he's the one that promoted me, so you know, you call whatever you want, I don't care, you know. I don't have to bag groceries anymore, I got to be order the produce, got to cut the watermelons on the first day, and then I made the move to dairy, but that, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. <laughs> and some of you, you can look back on your life, and you can think like, yeah, there are times that names have hurt me, there are times that names have helped me, there are times that I have longed for what someone else has, and I pretended like I was a part of a crowd in order to be like, in order to sit at the right lunch table, in order to have the right name, in order to be in the right crowd, and you have maybe faked some knowledge, you faked some part of your life in order to, to level up in society, in order to fit in, in order to be this person, and you have been someone that you weren't in order to gain something. And I think this is what we see is happening with Ananias and Sapphira. They're like, man, like we're, we're in this group and this is incredible, but man, like if if we just make them think that we have given more than we have, if we, if we just keep some of it back for ourselves, but then make them think that we gave it all. Like maybe the, maybe the housing market was like it is today, right? Like you never know what the price is gonna be, kinda like gas, right? You guys, you guys, have you guys heard how to save 10 cents on gas? Buy it today, right? Because like, tomorrow it's going up 10 cents, right? Like, every that's what it feels like, right? Like, like in the housing market, maybe it was like that. And so they're like, they'll, they're never going to know. Like, it's not going to matter. And then we, maybe we're going to get a nickname. Maybe they're going to call us the generous ones. Or those who are abundantly wealthy, but give it all to their friends. That wouldn't fit on a hoodie. But they didn't have hoodies back then, right? They had cloaks. Probably would fit on a cloak. Um... And so Ananias and Sapphira probably caught up in this moment and they become inauthentic before the apostles. And remember, Luke tells us twice in the first three or four verses that they were in this together. Ananias with his wife Sapphira. Ananias with his wife Sapphira fully knowing. And so, so far, not as bad as I made it seem to be. But let's see what happens next. Verse 3. He says, He kept back... Okay, we'll go back to verse 2. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter... Hey, Peter, you remember him from the day of Pentecost? Right? He's the one that gets up and preaches. 3,000 people get saved, right? And it's like this exciting moment. Like, oh my gosh. And so Peter, here it speaks up as the spokesman for the group. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. And wait, verse 5. When Ananias heard this, He fell down and died. Yeah, he is dead. Like, yeah, it it gets intense very quickly. Like, right, it's just one verse in our passage. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Okay, it gets even weirder. Verse 6. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Can you imagine that this is your summer internship? Okay, like you have agreed to like work with the apostles, like you are a young person, like you're following the apostles around, you're a part of this group, like men and women are healing people, you're seeing the Holy Spirit do things that you never imagined that that could happen through individuals, and then all of a sudden you're like one of the guys that has to carry the dead person out. And great fear, which is like the first time the passage like really makes sense to me. Great fear seizes the church. So let's kind of break this down a little bit and see what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira and Holy Spirit. It's important for us to notice at uh, the very beginning of verse 3 that Holy Spirit reveals to Peter that Satan has filled Ananias and Sapphira's heart. This is the first time in the Acts narrative that Satan is mentioned. Satan is mentioned throughout the Lucan narrative. Like if you go back and read Luke, you'll see the tempter, the evil one. You'll see Satan is is active in the world, much in the same way that Satan is active in our world today. Um, C.S. Lewis has one of my favorite quotes on the spiritual realm when we think about um, Satan and demonic activity, if you will. And He says, there are two mistakes that we can make when it comes to evil, the evil one. One, is that we can assume that it doesn't exist. Two, is that we can think there's a demon behind every bush. Okay, and we can like blame things that are actually just coincidence on spiritual warfare, on the demonic, okay. And so as we like talk about Satan, I know for some of you when I say the word Satan, like you picture like a guy with a tail and red horns, I don't think that he looks like that. The Bible tells us a lot of things about the evil one. It tells us that he is cunning. tells us that he's wise. He is kind of the one that is there at the beginning with Adam and Eve. Um, and even probably with Cain and Abel, like as we see, like, like sin is crouching at your door from the very beginning of the Genesis narrative. Like, and, and like, be careful, Cain. I think the same thing is happening here with Ananias and Sapphira. Like Satan is there and he's here, not maybe not here exactly, right? Like uh, God, we believe, is omnipresent. We know this about God. Satan is not omnipresent. Okay, like the, the cosmic battle between good and evil is not a fair fight. Okay, God is significantly greater than Satan. He can't be all all places at once in the way that God can, um, and so but he can have activity in our world today. And that sometimes we allow him to have more activity than he should in our own lives, okay? And so Ananias and Sapphira, either through greed, through uh, their own personal story or whatever, they have allowed Satan to come into their heart. And he has started this process of them holding back, of them not only lying to God's people, but lying to God. And I think that that is a fascinating, like... Point from Peter, like Ananias, you have not only lied to God's people, that you have lied to God Himself. And that sometimes we need to realize that when we are inauthentic and when we lie to our community, we are lying to God too. When we try to make ourselves seem like we are more holy than we actually are, we're not just lying to our core group during highs and lows. We're not just lying to our core group during prayer requests. We're actually lying to God also. Like God's people and like the, the holiness that is God, like as it rests with His people, God takes holiness seriously. God takes authenticity seriously. Many of you have become a part of Kai Alpha, and you've joined this, this core group, and you found these brothers or these sisters, and you have like what has been so attractive to you has been the authenticity of the community, and the way that they shared, the way that they loved, the way that they were vulnerable. You're like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is my story with Kai Alpha. It's some twenty years ago? Question mark Seventeen? I don't know. 2003, right? I found out some of you were maybe just born then. Um, Yeah, Uh, tough. Uh, And so, is that funny back there? Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing is okay in the text, just lying is not. Like, I have to, like, I just picture if I was there when the dude fell over, I may have laughed because I wouldn't have thought that he was, like, actually dead, right? <laughs> like, it just would have been so shocking that I'm not sure what else I would have done. I would have laughed, and then Peter would have been mad at me. Um, so, like, when we think about the community of God, we need to understand that this is serious stuff. Ananias and Sapphira holding back a little of themselves. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's like, hey, just in case. Maybe it's a just in case fund. Right? Maybe it's like they want to be seen as something that they're not. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. What it is is they they brought it before the apostles' feet. They laid it before Peter and John and, and the rest of them, right? With the intention that it would be understood that this was all of it. And it wasn't. And Ananias gets purged. He gone. And honestly, I told you I don't like this passage. The the worst is still coming. Don't read ahead. Let's continue. So remember, Ananias is uh, dead. The young men have carried him out. They've wrapped his body up. They've buried him. This is not common in the ancient Near East. Uh, burials would have been like a three-day process. There would have been weeping. There would have been wailing. There would have been people would have come from miles around. But later, it's like, hey, you know what? We're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to get it done quick. Put them in the ground and move on. We know that's quick because, uh, verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, Sapphira, not knowing what had happened. Where was she? Like, Did she like drop him off? Did she go to run her errands? And she's like, you know what, I'll pick them back up and we'll get our nicknames together, right? It's going to be great. Like, you know, I got some things I got to do. I got to pick up something at the meat market or like I'm dropping the kids off at uh, daycare or I am like I've got to go back to the business that I own. We don't really know where Sapphira goes. We know that she's gone for about three hours because the text tells us and then she comes back. And oh, how I wish things went a little differently in the next verse. You're right ahead. Yep. Some of you are over there. I can see it in your eyes. Verse 8. Peter asked me, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? I always wish that Peter would have started with, hey, your husband's dead. Don't blow this next question. Right? Like, but instead, I believe still under influence of Holy Spirit and like the holiness that God is trying to get in his church. Peter gives her a chance. It's not as outright as the chance that I would have liked for Peter to have given, but I'm, again, I'm not God. So let's see what we can learn from the text. Is this the price that you got? the end of verse 8, Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Verse 10, At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Two for two. Then the young man, again, the internship of a lifetime, Came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. That was kind. And then, you know, the verse that makes the most sense to me in our text so far, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I want to focus very quickly on that word church. Come on. Okay, uh, so I want to focus on the word church right there because it's the first time it happens in the text. The first time we have the word for the word church happens right here in Acts chapter 5 at the end of our story, which is a tragic story, but it is the very beginning of the church that Holy Spirit is building. The Greek word there is ekklesia, okay? That's the root word ek, not the root word. The, ek, the root word is ekklesia, the prefix is ek. Ek, out of, klesia, called ones. The ones who are called out of the world. The ones who are called to live differently. The ones who things look different when they're together. This is who you are. When the New Testament church defines church, she defines it as the people, as the gathering, as the called out ones. Okay, this idea of church is something that you go to on Sundays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Saturdays. And it's like this place that you drive to is so foreign to the New Testament church. It would have not been a part of it. Actually, what you do on Wednesday night and Thursday night as you gather in your homes and core groups, this is what the New Testament church looked like. She was the called-out ones. The, the, uh, Paul, like, as he writes other letters in the New Testament, tells us, like, like, to God's holy people, to the saints gathered in Ephesus, to the, to the holy ones in Colossae. And we see that, that the New Testament church was always about the people, and always about the people gathering, and always about living in this real, radical community together. And I think that Holy Spirit is telling us at the beginning of the church that one of the ways in which we must look different is that there must be holiness at the forefront of our movement. We can't just fake it to level up. We can't just pretend that we're something that we're not. God wants us to live authentically holy. And that this can be like so confusing, and this can be so frustrating, and this can be so hard for us to like figure out what this looks like, and how this plays out, and what does it mean, and what does it not mean. OK, so I want to break this down. I think I've got two points. Number one, inauthent- inauthenticity is a community killer. Do you like the play on words there? Killer, they both died. You guys are like, I'm actually still uncomfortable with the text. Uh, uh, and then the Lord wants it all. And so first, let's talk about the first one. Inauthenticity is a community killer. Some of you, you have been in uh, groups of people, or you've had friends, or you have had friends in the past, and you've always had that friend that like, was like always saying these things that you're just like, that's not true. Like, what you are saying is not who you are. What you are saying is not lining up. And it has made relationship difficult with that person. And then it's made relationships difficult within the entire community, right? Like, as you gather together, it's like, she keeps saying that, and I know that's not true. And we all know it's not true. And it drags the community down inauthenticity is a community killer. Let me encourage you as you gather in homes this week before you go out on spring break, as you go on spring break, as you're on your teams, as you're home with friends, to be authentic and to truly share what is going on. To lead in vulnerability. Because the community that is authentic is why we all joined here anyway. It's what we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of something where we are able to share not only possessions, but our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. Now let me say this. Some of you, you're like, I am not going to share that because I don't know how it will be received. When we don't receive things that our friends share in the context of community, that is also inauthentic community. When you don't receive it from them when they share it, you're saying you don't want them to share it. And that also is a community killer. There's got to be a place where Ananias and Sapphira could have sat down with the apostles and said, Hey, I don't want to give you all of this. I'd like to keep back a part of it for myself. And what does Peter say in the text? Wasn't it yours to begin with? You could have had it. You could have kept the whole thing. You didn't need to do it this way. And so as you live in community, as you try to build authentic community, you have to be willing to share and receive things that can be hard, things that can be difficult, and things that can be different from the church that you grew up in. Now let me continue with that point. I think there's a, a lot of talk about what our, our true self is and what our authentic self is and to be true to who you are and on and, and, and on and on. There's a lot of phrases that go with that. There's a lot of thought processes, processes that go with that. And what I would like to say is I want you to be true to who God wants you to be. That that would be your true self. That the Lord God would work that out with you, but that you would have a place to be able to share what's going on truly in your life with your friends, with your family, with your house, with your core group. But that understanding that you're also still on a journey. That the Lord does take holiness seriously. there are things that he wants to root out of all of us. I don't stand up here as one who has made it. I stand up here as one who is like on the journey. I told you from the very beginning, I don't like this text. It scares me for my own heart. scares me for my own actions. And the example that the Lord is setting out. And so I think like, as we think about our futures, as we think about our lives right now, that we cannot be trying to like, get into certain places because like, the only thing that matters is the output. It doesn't matter how we get there. And you all have grown up in a society that tells you the only thing that matters is that you're there. It doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is the end. It matters if you got the job. Okay. It matters what grade you got on the test. It doesn't matter if you cheated or not to get there. Right? We just got to graduate. We got to get the internship. We got to get the job. We got to move. It doesn't matter what it took for us to get there. The end justifies the means. And the Lord says, actually, it's not just about the end. It's not just about getting there. Like, how you get there does matter. Who you are as you get there does matter. The journey is important on the way to the destination. The next point, as we're headed to a close, you hope, um, is that the Lord wants it all. And I think it's easy when we hear this, like the Lord wants it all. And in this context that you can think that it's just about money. It's not about money. Though I do think the Lord wants all of that too. This is to begin with. You might as well give it all back to him and see what he does with it. It's going to be better for you anyway because he's got a lot more than you do. Do you know what I mean? Um, Some of you, you have seen a tremendous amount of money come in for spring break that you didn't know was going to come in. And the Lord's like, yo, I got this. Like, you know what I mean? I'm a generous God. I give good gifts, right? Okay. And what the Lord is asking of us is like to not hold anything back. To not be like, hey, you know what? I need to keep part of this for myself. i got to make sure that I'm going to make it. And if you don't come through, Jesus, then I've got this thing to fall back on. And I would encourage you towards radical, immediate obedience to Jesus. That as he tells you to do things, that you do it. As Holy Spirit nudges you, that you step out in faith. And that you don't hold things back for yourself. Because the Lord is asking for everything. I think that if Ananias and Sapphira would have just told, I mean, I think specifically if Sapphira would have just told Peter, like, "Yo, actually we kept some back for ourselves. The shock of her husband dying may have still gotten to her, right, really depending on what her heart was like, you know, like as a ticker. I mean, no bacon back then, so that's helpful. Um, But I was like, how does he just transition after that? You just pretend like it didn't happen, and you just move right on. Um, I learned it from Jim Gaffigan. Like, as I, like, I try to base my preaching off of Jim Gaffigan, like, why is he, why is he going back to the bacon joke? Um, see? Yeah, so, yeah, good, yeah. Jim Gaffigan also has a lot of kids. Maybe that's like why I like the guy. Um, the Lord wants it all, okay? So it's not just about money. It's about the attitude of your heart. It's about what you're holding on to, what you put your hope in, what you put your future in. Now look, again, this is not me saying that y'all need to go to, the, to like be missionaries. That's not what I'm saying. That's absolutely not what I'm saying because I need some of you to give me money so that I can be a missionary, right? But like what I am saying is like don't hold back. See what would happen. Go on the adventure of a lifetime of following Jesus as you give Him everything. Because the good news is Five chapters earlier, right, before Acts, God gives everything for us. The Gospels end with God giving his son to die on the cross so that we may be in a relationship with him, we may be in a relationship with each other, so that we may truly see what authentic community could live like. And so when God says, give me everything, he's not asking you to do something that he hasn't already done himself that he doesn't continually do himself, that this is the story of the gospel. The gospel is that God loved us so much that he gave his son so that we may be in relationship with him, so that we may be able to live authentic lives with purpose and passion that matter as we take holiness seriously. As this young church was getting started, Holiness needed to be at the forefront, because inauthenticity, faking it, lying, will kill your community before it gets started. Let that not be of us. So, the band's going to come up as we close tonight. And they're going to play, and I'm going to invite you all to stand. You go ahead and stand now. And as they, there's going to be some words, and you're going to be able to sing, and I want you to sing because I believe that Christ has given us the victory and that this is who we are as the people of God, as we gather in community, that we are like the Holy Ones, we are the ones that are set apart, we are called out for a moment such as this. But if there are people in the room that you need to talk to, I'll just encourage you just to go talk to them right now. Like, hey, I'm sorry for the way that I have hurt our community. I'm sorry for the things that I've said about you to your face. I'm sorry for the things that I've said about you, not to your face, that I should have said to your face. I'm sorry for the ways in which I've tried to fake it in order to make myself seem more spiritual, to make myself seem like I fit in in ways that I don't fit in. I'm sorry for the ways in which I've tried to earn a name for myself through ill-gotten gains where I've cut corners in order just to make it. And I'm sorry for the way in which I've lived an unholy life. Holy Spirit may be speaking to some of you right now about things that you look forward to, about things that you are doing, things that you have done, that He wants to give you the chance to root out right now, to cut out, to get rid of, to put an end to. And maybe you'd go, you'd ask your core group leader, you'd ask your housemate, you'd ask your co-leader, you'd ask a friend to pray with you. So if you want to sing, you can sing. If you have things that you need to deal with, please deal with them tonight. It's just going to get harder next week. Okay, we're going to be scattered, right? The community is not going to be as close. Some of you are going to be in some very hard places, like home. You're going to be alone for the first time. Like You're going to be in a place that maybe isn't as encouraging to you. You're going to be jet-lagged or whatever it's going to be. Let's deal with some things tonight if the Lord has put things on your heart in order for you to live a holy life in authentic community. Pray with me as we begin. Gracious God, we're thankful for the chance to be here tonight. God, we're thankful that you have set us up for such a time as this for authentic community, that you are the God that is with us that you encourage us, that you're the lifter of our heads, that you are the one who wants to see us succeed with purpose and passion. So God, I pray that if there's anything in our lives tonight that is in the way, if there's anything in our lives tonight that is keeping us from truly living authentically before the community and before you, Holy Spirit that you would speak that to us and that we would see that end, that we would see a new trajectory set tonight as we go on this journey of following you in the context of real community. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.